guest today. I'm very excited about this session. Is Stephen M.R. Covey, and he is the co-founder and CEO of CoveyLink Worldwide, and he's also the author of The Speed of Trust, a groundbreaking and paradigm-shifting book that challenges our age-old assumption that trust is merely a social, soft virtue. So, Stephen, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you, John. I'm absolutely, absolutely delighted to be on the show with you, with you today. Well, now, uh, tell me a little bit about Covey Link. Uh, I know people uh, probably know you, certainly, uh, from from your writing, and maybe uh, not so much uh, from uh, the consulting and the work that you do there at Covey Link. Yeah, well, what we do, Covey Link, is our business that helps, actually, organizations and leaders get good at creating trust with all their stakeholders. So we actually have training around this, consulting and coaching and things that help leaders and companies turn the creation of trust into their greatest strength and competency. So it's not just a a book that we have, not just a speech that we give, but it's also we can really go inside an organization and help them and help their culture really develop a high trust culture. And, And otherwise, you know, too often it's kind of a nice idea, but it bogs down in the, in, in the implementation. Yeah, we'll get into that a little bit, but I, but I think you're right. A lot of times people read books, and, I, and I'm sure that they find themselves saying, okay, that's great, how do I do it? <laughs> exactly. Um, so it's, it's, so we wanted to be able to answer that question. Yeah, yeah. You know, we'll, we'll try to give you in the book how to do it, and then beyond that, um, if you wanted to go deeper, we can do that too. Now let me. Um, um, I have some polling questions here, and one of the first things I want to do is find out who's here. So um, I'm going to open up this poll. And uh, there you are. Uh, uh, folks can uh, go ahead and vote on that poll that's there. Um, and tell us if you are a uh, uh, business owner, executive, manager, student, or other. Uh, and we'll uh, get a little idea of uh, who's joined us today. So while people are... Uh, Voting that. Uh, well, you know. There we go. Got about uh, three-fourths of the way voted. We'll leave it open there. Uh, it's pretty much like I suspected. Uh, Stephen and I were talking offline. I said this was going to be an entrepreneurial group, uh, primarily of business owners. And I'm going to go ahead and close that poll and show you the results. Uh, as you can see, we are at about 62% business owners, another 20% uh, managers, uh, 11% other. You know, you can never know what everybody that's going to join us. So there, there you have it, Stephen, mostly business owners, uh, entrepreneurs. Yeah, wonderful. So, so um, I want to get right to, and, and this is probably one of these, this may even be the subtitle of your book in a way, that, uh, and this is a, a quote that I heard you say, and I, I'd love to hear you uh, give us a little more uh, background on this. Um, you say that trust is a hard-edged economic driver, a learnable and measurable skill that makes organizations more profitable, people more promotable, and relationships more energizing. So uh, break that down a little for us. Uh, yeah, this is one of the big ideas. See, too often people think about trust as just a soft social virtue. I mean, no one's against it. Everyone always likes it. It's seen as a good thing, a positive thing. But still, it's not often seen as a hard-edged economic driver. And, and so we neglect it. We ignore it. We assume it. We take it for granted until the trust gets lost and, and, or destroyed somehow. And then we recognize how vital it is, and sometimes then it's too late. 
So I really pointing out how trust is more than this social virtue. It is that, but it's much more. It is a hard-edged economic driver. Now, here's why I say that. Think about it. Trust always affects, in any relationship, or on a team, or with a customer, it always affects speed and cost. And here's how the economics of trust work. When trust goes down in a relationship, or on a team, or with a customer, when the trust goes down, speed goes down with it. Everything's going to take you longer to do, while cost goes up. Everything's going to cost you more to do. Why? Because you have to take all these steps to compensate for the lack of trust, which take time and cost money. That is a tax, a low-trust tax, and it's real. Now, thankfully, the opposite is true as well. When the trust goes up in a relationship, when the trust goes up on a team or with a customer, speed goes up. Everything happens much, much faster while cost comes down. Everything costs you less to do. That is a dividend, a high-trust dividend. And it's really that simple and that real and that predictable. Speed and cost are always affected by trust. And see, we've often never really thought about it that way. We've thought in terms of it's a nice thing, it's a good social thing, but this is economic. It's affecting how fast we can move, and it affects the cost in which it takes to do business. And when there's low trust, I have found that literally distrust doubles the cost of doing business and often triples the time it takes to get things done. And so there's a real economic dimension to this. Otherwise, you know, what is seen as a soft topic. And I'm pointing out, hey, this is not soft. This is hard. It's affecting your business economically. Well, can you give uh, an example? You talked about taking steps to compensate uh, for, for lack of or, or not focusing on this. Do you have any, any examples that come to mind, uh, the, the things that, that companies end up doing that, that cost more, that slow down the, you know, the, this lack of speed? Sure. Just, just imagine now, we've got a lot of business owners here, entrepreneurs um, and managers. So imagine a situation where you're working with a, with a supplier. And you, let's say you've got uh, a certain a product line you're getting uh, uh, supplied to you, and you got a couple of different suppliers, and one with whom you have very high trust, and the other that the trust is not very high. They've let you down before. But you got to keep both because that's either smart or something in the structure of your business says, hey, don't just sole source right now. So you've got two, two uh, suppliers. I mention this because this was the situation I found myself in some years ago at Covey Leadership Center, having a couple of suppliers, one that we trusted, one that we didn't. Well, you know what? The one that we trusted, everything was worked beautifully. They, they delivered. It was on time. It was to spec. It was quality. And we could move fast. We had confidence in it. It was good. The other party, we didn't trust as much. And so, you know what we did? We put in place some inspection. Whenever they'd ship us the product, we put in place an inspection team to test it and to check it all of which took time and cost money. And and I started saying to myself, wait a minute, who's paying for this? We are. Why are, why are we paying for this? Because well, we don't fully trust it. Well, you know, that's, that's not acceptable. We shouldn't be paying for this. So whenever there's distrust, you take steps to compensate for that distrust. And you put in place redundant processes and procedures and excessive systems and, and regulations and rules and the like to compensate for the lack of trust. And it, that all takes time. It all costs money. I'll give another illustration of this is just take uh, in airline travel in the last uh, seven years. Um, before 9-11, uh, you know, I used to be able to go to my home airport about a half hour before my flight and just cruise to security to get on the plane. Today, since 9-11, you know, 
the confidence in, in flying has gone down. So we took steps to compensate for that, and we beefed up the security. I'm grateful for that security. It helps, but comes at a price. It yeah. takes longer. It costs more. Today, I have to arrive at my airport about 90 minutes before my flight because I never can predict how long it will take me to get through security. But the security is put in place as a really, you know, dealing with the loss of trust. So anytime you take steps to compensate for the lack of trust, they, will, they, they can help, but they'll take time, they'll cost you money. There's an economic consequence. Whereas when you have high trust and it's been established and it's real, you move at an incredible speed, a speed that you can't come close to approximating without it. Yeah, it's it's funny. I think a lot of times when people think in terms of trust, they're thinking of you know the the, the obvious, not ripping people off. You know the yeah. the the real obvious. But um, I I think you talk about uh, pretty eloquently in the book about companies that maybe outwardly appear to be doing fine. They're they're meeting their numbers. They're growing. Maybe not like they'd like to, but but. Uh, but they are growing, and so I, I know sometimes you go into companies like that, and, and you show them ways uh, to to really dig deeper and find this systematic idea, this this actual learnable, doable approach to trust that that I think goes maybe much subtler, or certainly much deeper than the obvious. Absolutely, because um, so many things are affected by trust. Most people, again, have never thought of this in terms of having an economic effect. They know it has a social effect. But they've never thought in terms of what's the business cost of this or benefit from it. And that's a big part of what we do. We show how innovation thrives in a culture of trust and it tends to die or wither when there's distrust in the, in the culture. Take the execution of your strategy. You can execute very fast when there's high trust. But when there's low trust, everything takes you a whole lot longer and it gets derailed along the way. Take trying to partner with people. You can't really partner if there's low trust. You might coordinate, but real partnership, real collaboration requires this trust, the, the attraction and retention of great people. People want to work in a culture and an environment where they're trusted. And when they're not trusted, it tends to disengage people, especially your best people, where they become disengaged, where they quit, but they stay. Or the best people will then leave because they want to go to a place where they are trusted. Now, look, you could, all these things I've just mentioned, and I could go on and on and on, you could put an economic uh, factor to. You could you can measure this. You can quantify this. And trust affects every one of them. And and, uh, and many, many more, especially sales. And this is so vital for entrepreneurs. Um, that there's such hard data, time and again, that will show um, as, com- as companies are buying from companies, when there's trust in who they're buying from, they buy more from them. They buy more frequently from them. They buy larger orders from them. They refer more business to them. They stay with them longer. They give them the benefit of the doubt, all compared to people that maybe they don't have that level of trust in which all of that is diluted massively. So this is economic, and every dimension of it is affected by it. And and, uh, um, let me give you a a brief illustration of of kind of the speed of trust in action that will make this point. I call this the donut guy. This is a street vendor. So this is a very basic business, and he sells donuts and coffee to passers-by as they go into an office building um, to work in the morning. And he's got a great location in a huge city outside this big office complex, and he's the only vendor there. So he's got this great location. And because of that location, he's got these long lines of people that gather to be served donuts and coffee. He notices that a lot of the people in the line grow impatient from waiting, so they leave the line and just go into the building without being served. 
This vendor also notices that what's taking him the longest is making change for his customer. So this vendor decides that he's going to trust his customer. And here's what he does. He gets a little basket. And in that little basket, he puts uh, dollar bills, $5 bills, $10 bills, nickels, quarters, and dimes. And he puts the basket on the edge of his cart. And when the customer comes through, he goes to serve him donuts and coffee. The customer reaches out to Pam and he motions to the customer, you make your own change. And the customer then goes down to the end of the cart on their own into the basket. They make their own change. But there's some risk in that, right? Because yeah. maybe the customer makes the wrong change accidentally or worse, purposefully. Yeah. But here's what the street vendor found. See, instantly, he was able to put through twice as many customers as before. He trusted his customers. When trust goes up, speed goes up with it. Twice as many customers. He never lacked for customers. He had, they would grow impatient and leave the line. Now he's eliminated his bottleneck. So twice as many customers are going through. He had no new cost in doing this. It's still a one-person show. And here's what he found. Rather than people abusing the trust that he gave him, he found just the opposite. People liked being trusted. They came back to him more frequently. They were more loyal to him. And they gave him larger than normal tips. And he literally more than doubled his business by simply extending trust to his customer. It's just a simple illustration of how the economics of trust work. And it works with everyone inside the company, outside the company. If you increase trust, you will increase speed and decrease cost. That is a dividend. So one of the things you're really suggesting then is not simply a matter of, of bringing your integrity to the company, that, that, that you're also suggesting that you have to extend this, that it's a re- there's a reciprocal nature uh, to building trust. Is that is that what I'm hearing? Absolutely, John. It, and you've got to be smart about it. I'm not advocating just a blind trust where you just indiscriminately trust everybody and anybody because that's not very smart. Um, you've got to look at the risk involved and the like. And in this case, in the donut case, the donut guy, the risks were pretty minor because, you know, he, he, he didn't have his life savings in that little basket and, he, and he'd take down the little basket from time to time and, and, the, and you know, so he didn't risk that much. But yes, you did that you need to, you yourself need to be trustworthy and credible and deserving of this trust. But you also need to work with your team and with your partners in ways in which you expect trust from them, but also that you believe that they can do this and you expect it. And you know what? Most people rise to the occasion. A few may not. And and then you won't want to work with them in the long run. Yeah. But the vast majority of people respond to that and they reciprocate the trust that you extended to them. And this works with customers so well I saw an um, a eyeglasses store that was selling, you know, glasses that people would try on and the like. And here's what they found was they had a lot of customers stealing from them some, some of the eyeglasses. And, and so they, they put little, uh, um, they put the eyeglasses in these racks in which they were tied down. So the customer could look at it, but they couldn't try it on. Well, they did stop the theft. The theft went way down. But guess what else went way down? Yeah, right. Sales. <laughs> Why? Because people buy a lot more when they try it on. They see how they look in it. Yeah. And so, yeah, they stopped the theft because, you know, they didn't, see, they didn't trust their customer. And they, they, they lowered the theft, but they lowered sales too. Then they, a new manager came in and said, you know, this is ridiculous. And they said, we've got to trust our customers. And, and they took the, you know, they, they didn't tie them down anymore. And they dramatically increased sales. And you know what? Very few people were trying to steal from them. And and the point is, the vast majority of people don't. So don't let the, the 5 or the 10% you can't trust tell you about the 90 or the 95% that you can't. And too often we do that. So I'm not, I'm not a Pollyanna on this where I just you know say, hey, everyone can be trusted. Right. I know that's not the case. However, 
when we operate on the premise of trust, we start with that in mind, you know, the whole idea of trust and then verify, trust and verify. We lead out with trust. Generally, we get a lot better results a lot faster. And again, you got to be smart about it. There might be some cases where the risk is so great where maybe you're more cautious in how much you would give out trust and how fast. Well, and, and you know, we, you've been focusing on uh, the, the customer, trusting the customer, but I, I would suggest that uh, probably equally, if, if not uh, more important, to have that and extend that same kind of trust to your employees, your associates. John, you're right on. In fact, it's, it's equally, if not more important. The customer one I highlight because that's so people can see it. They can recognize how important that is, is to build high-trust customers and have them trust you they, because of all those reasons. They'll buy more, refer more, et cetera. But when you apply this inside the company, it's equally important and equally economic. High-trust cultures, high-trust companies, the data shows this, they outperform low-trust companies by 286% in the total return to shareholders. That's a, a, a many-year study by Watson Wyatt. It's, it's overwhelming. There's, there's a three times multiplier, three times better when there's high trust compared to low trust. Why? Because speed is being affected and cost is being affected. And so it's real, and it starts right within your own team. And yet in most organizations, there tends to be lower trust, and, and, or at least trust issues and sometimes severe trust problems. And, and, um, and I'll tell you what, you know, there's many reasons for it, and, and some managers might say, well, that's because they're not trustworthy. I can't trust them. Mm-hmm. There might be a lot of truth to that. I'm not denying that. But at the same time, people tend to respond and, and rise to the, you know, they, they, they respond to how they're treated. And when they're distrusted, they tend to distrust right back. Yeah. And they almost want to prove the distrust justified. When they're trusted, the vast majority of people want to prove that trust justified and return it back to you. And so one reason why so few employees trust their leaders is because the leaders don't trust their employees and people reciprocate how they're treated. So when you, as a leader, can go first and say, you know, we're going to build a high-trust culture. We're going to expect a lot. And we're going to lead it and model it here first. And we're going to extend it to you until you prove otherwise. You can lose this. So don't, no one wants to lose this. But that's our starting place. You watch what happens. In the vast majority of people will rise to the occasion. A few may not. You want to weed them out. And what you'll find is the culture will weed them out because other people won't want to, won't want to lose this trust that has been extended to them. And if people aren't trustworthy, they'll say, hey, you know, get it, you know, you got to shape up because I like this trust that's been given to me and to us. And we've seen it happen time and again with companies. So this is pragmatic. It's not Pollyannish. It may sound that way if you're misinterpreting it. But I'm not. I'm saying you got to be smart about this. But when you build that kind of culture and that kind of team, internally, externally, you will see dramatically improved economics. I've opened up another uh, poll, Stephen. You'll find this interesting. Uh, those of you on the on the webinar, I bring my personal integrity to my workplace through my actions. That's the question I asked people, and I gave them the opportunity to say always, often, sometimes, not enough, never. Uh, and I guess we're trusting people to uh, <laughs> to tell on themselves, right? To be uh, honest. <laughs> to be honest. And uh, uh, with a about 75% of the votes in, we've got about 75% of the people saying they always do that. Uh, we have 3% saying not enough. Uh, we have 28% saying often. So uh, looks like, and actually some of the, uh, some of the all, 
some of the always is is shrinking a little bit. Uh, so I'm going to close that poll now and show people the results. Uh, looks like we ended up with about 33%, Stephen, of the people saying that not always uh, do they bring their, their personal beliefs and values to the workplace through their actions. So you want to comment on that? Yeah, that, well, um, that that sounds actually more accurate with what my experience has been. Yeah. That, that there's a lot of opportunity here. Um, and especially for entrepreneurs. See, trust is the key currency for entrepreneurs. It, it's their reputation, their brand. It precedes them as they deal with suppliers and vendors and distributors and partners and customers and banks. Um, you know, oftentimes they're betting on you. They're betting on the entrepreneur that, and their brand and their reputation. And that's trust. And that's the key currency. And so it's vital. And, and it starts first with the credibility of the person. But then it goes to what you just described as actions. I call it behaviors. Does, does that credibility then translate into the person's behaviors? Are they behaving in the ways that will build trust consistently? And that poll sounds about right. That, that yeah, most people try. And most people are doing it, you know, they, they try. But there's, a lot of, there's still a lot of room to improve. And, and um, are, be, are people being, you know, are they talking straight? See, talking straight builds trust. Lying, of course, will destroy it. And, and most people don't lie, but what they often do is they, they spin and they might twist or manipulate or posture. And it's, it's where they technically tell the truth, but they leave the wrong impression. See, that is not always. See, that's, that's kind of having a gap. Mm-hmm. So you might be partly doing it, but not completely. And the net effect is people tend not to trust. And so I could go on and on with a whole host of behaviors. In fact, we've identified 13 behaviors. Well, in, in fact, I, I do want to touch on those, but I, I, I want to segue to and part of the reason I asked that question is is because I think a lot of times we're a little blinded uh, that maybe we're doing that. And so answering these questions is a little tough. But you have, a, you have an interesting tool um, uh, that I've uh, seen on your site called uh, whotrustyou.com. Um, and, you know, I, I think that uh, I, I say it's an interesting tool. It's probably a little scary for some people. Uh, but uh, And I'm showing a screenshot uh, of it on uh, to the participants online. Uh, but but literally is a tool that, that you can pick people and send it out and get this uh, um, anonymous assessment of, of how trustworthy you are. I, 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 you want to talk a little bit about uh, uh, do people get some surprises when they, uh, when they take that exercise up? They do, John, and you're exactly right. That that uh, sometimes people assume that they're um, you know just completely trusted or doing great, and there may be a blind spot. There may be un- you know lack of awareness that there are issues. And this whotrustyou.com um, little survey is very intriguing because it's simple, it's easy, and you can get a, a brief snapshot, and you can select who you send it to. And the whole point is to try to get a sense of, hey, it's not just who do you trust, but it's who trusts you, especially as a leader, as an entrepreneur. And this gives people a flavor. And and sometimes people are surprised, and and they might say, you know what, I didn't realize that uh, I had some trust issues. And and, and we have other surveys that go deeper where they actually get feedback directly from a boss and from direct reports and from colleagues and, and, and peers or it could be from customers, or it could be from board members if they're the owner. And and they might learn that, you know what, look, the board trusts me, and my customers trust me, but my people don't. 
is what's coming back. Or vice versa. My people trust me, but my customers don't or my partners don't or the board doesn't. You know, or any combination of these. And, and so, yeah, this can be very useful because most people have never thought in terms of how trusted they are. They've never thought in terms of, does this have an economic impact? And I'm arguing, absolutely it does. It's, it's quantifiable, measurable, and you can do something about it so you can get better at this. And so we should know about this. And that whotrustyou.com is a great kind of first step to get a snapshot. And you can learn a lot. And then if you want, you can go a lot deeper and, and really go in depth so you can turn the creation of trust into your greatest strength as a leader. You have, um, I know we've been talking about what I would say is sort of the organizational um, trust in, in a business, but uh, you, you talk about five waves that, that certainly starts with self and, and goes all the way through society. You want to uh, maybe outline that a bit and, uh, and then may, you know, we, we probably will be at a point where we uh, may take some questions after that. Okay, great. Yeah, well, John, here's the idea, um, is that uh, trust really means confidence, confidence. And the opposite of that, distrust, is suspicion. Say, don't trust someone if I'm suspicious about their agenda or their motive or their, their uh, integrity or their capabilities. I do trust when I feel confidence. So here's how that trust works, and here's how you develop it best. It's, it's an inside-out process, and I call it the five waves of trust. You always begin with yourself, self-trust. That's all about your credibility. Am I credible? Do I trust myself? And do I give to others a person they can trust, a leader they can trust, an entrepreneur they can trust? That's where you begin, self-trust, your credibility. Then you move out to your relationships. That's the second wave, relationship trust. That's all about your behavior. Do I behave in ways that actually build trust with other people? That's my actions. And that's why I like your question that separated the actions from their actual beliefs. See, the beliefs, in a sense, is their the self-trust. But do I behave in those ways? Do I act that way? That's the relationship trust. And, and here's why it's inside out. You'll have a hard time sustaining trust with other people if at the end of the day, you don't really trust yourself. Mm-hmm. So you start with yourself. Then you move to your relationships, relationship trust, the, your behavior. Then you move to the next wave, the, the third wave of trust, which is organizational trust. This is now trust on your team or in your company, your group, whatever, however you want to define it. And, and too often people see trust problems at the organizational level and they try to just focus on it broadly but not recognizing that ultimately it comes back to also including uh, um, dealing with the trust issues at the relationship level and even at the individual level, being credible, being trustworthy. And so that's the third wave, organizational trust, which is being aligned with everything else that's happening. The fourth wave as you move out into the five waves of trust is the whole idea of, of, uh, of market trust. This is trust with the customer, trust with the marketplace, uh, trust with external stakeholders outside of your organization. And that's your reputation, your brand. And a brand or a reputation that is highly trusted gets all those dividends we've talked about. And it makes a huge difference. Speed goes up, cost goes down. Whereas if there's distrust to your brand for whatever reason that, that you've been deluded and compromised, then there's a tax that you pay in everything. And finally, the fifth wave of trust is that as it moves out is into society, societal trust. This is all about contribution, making a difference, creating value, as opposed to destroying it or, or taking it away. And so those are five waves of trust. And I, I look at it like a, the ripple effect, where the drop of water comes down and then the ripples go out. Each of those is like a ripple, a wave, as you move out. 
And too often, people just kind of jump to the marketplace and the organization and society and look at all the trust problems there. And there are, those are real. That's why you always diagnose best from the outside in. But if you want to change that, if you want to really want to improve and get good at this and, and change your brand, your reputation, that is always done best from the inside out, starting with yourself as a leader, as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, then your relationships and, and um, one-on-ones, and then your relationships in the groups and the teams, and then your team and your organization. Then you move into the marketplace. You're completely aligned now, see? Then you watch the impact you make on society. And leaders that do that, companies that do that, have a far greater impact because then it's real. And you can't fake trust. You, you might for a short period of time, but you can't sustain that. And if you don't move inside out, it can often be you know, seen as PR, that you're just trying to talk yourself out of a problem that you behave yourself into. And that doesn't work in the long run. You've got to behave your way out of that problem. And you do this always by working inside out. So those are the five waves of trust. Start with yourself, then your relationships, then your organization, then into the marketplace, and you watch the impact you'll have on society. Well, and it's interesting. A lot of times when people start saying society, you know, the people have these these grand pictures, which is great. But really for a lot of small business owners, that might just mean right there in your little community that, that, that trust is extended by buying locally, you know, or by, by using vendors that, uh, that that can help each other. I mean, I, I think sometimes people think, oh, you know, I'm not going to cure some disease or I'm not going to do this. But I think that that societal trust can be built in very small ways that, that have impact as well. You're exactly right. In fact, I would say you, if you wanted to, you could even change that word to your community yeah. that you're operating in, and yeah. and it, where it matters that the trust levels do matter, um, and and uh, you building it is a good thing, and you have some influence over it. Yeah. Well, let me uh, let me open up uh, for some questions if you're game. Uh, Absolutely. Um, the question is: Would you touch on? An organization's internal trust. I think we talked a little about that, but uh, I, I think you could probably add some more uh, uh, to that topic. Yes. Well, internal trust is this is something that's it's hardly ever measured. People often don't think about this, and yet it is measurable and it is movable. And here's what the data shows: the Watson Wyatt data shows this that only forty nine percent or less than half of employees trust their leaders, trust their management. So less than half of people trust their management. That meaning the other half distrust them and, and doesn't trust them. And there's consequences to that because when there's when the trust goes down, then, as I mentioned earlier, the speed goes down, the cost goes up. And what happens is redundancy gets built into the company. And um, bureaucracy creeps in with excessive policies and procedures and rules and regulations. You might have, need to have some of these because of the business you're in or the environment or the regulation, but it, in low-trust environments, it tends to become excessive and redundant and, and very, very bureaucratic. Then you also see politics enter the equation where companies become much more politicized and cultures become political. And again, that affects speed and cost. Then you see the disengagement of people where you know they're not trusted and they become disengaged. They quit but stay. Then you see the turnover of your best people. Then you see the churn of your other customers and, and other stakeholders with, with business partners and suppliers and distributors. They turn over, all of which costs you. And finally, you'll see even fraud when there's low trust. Yeah. So there's these huge costs of distrust within companies. And we need to look at that and recognize it doesn't show up on your income statement as a trust, a low trust cost. 
it'd be nice if it did. Instead, it gets embedded into everything else in your company, into the structures and systems. And I'm just saying, look, it is a trust issue. Let's focus on this. If we get good at trust, it makes us better at everything else that we need to do as a, as a manager, as an entrepreneur. I'm sure in your work, or the, or at least the work at CoveyLink, you've had to deal with this next one. Um, assuming that a person in the organization is genuinely not trustworthy, uh, how do you deal with that, particularly when this person is uh, near the top of your organization? Yeah, great question, because uh, it's the reality that, that we often have that type of, uh, um, you know, you know, issue going on that, yeah, hey, the problem's not me, it's it's this person. And in many cases, that is a, a real issue. And and so building trust or learning how to deal with people that you don't trust or can't trust is an important thing. And here's a couple of tips. First of all, you always start with yourself. In other words, rather than just pointing the finger out there, that might be true what you just said, but I still am going to focus on myself first. How credible am I? And if this person is my boss, you know, that maybe isn't worthy of trust, rather than just point out their weaknesses, start with yourself. How credible am I with this person? And the more credibility you have, that gives you more clout, and therefore you can be more bold in how you approach this. So you, you, so you yourself first become credible. Then I'd say this. Rather than frame trust problems with that person in terms of you're a bad person or no one trusts you, that type of thing, instead you frame the issue in economic terms not in moral terms. And that is, you know, when trust goes down on our team and our company or with a customer or in our group, when trust goes down, everything takes us longer and costs us more. And that's a tax that we can't afford to pay. So, and that's happening right now. And and then you separate the person from the behavior. And so he's not, and you're a bad person, you're doing this, it's saying these types of behaviors are causing us to lose that trust, which is again, costing us money and time. And, you know, when we make a commitment and then we don't keep it, that is costing us trust, and, and that, that is economic. When we, you know, spin instead of talking straight, that is costing us trust. And so you separate the person from the behavior. And again, if you start from a position of credibility so that you have some clout because you're a good model of this, and, and you get results, but you do it in a way that builds trust, you're not just some nice person there that's not performing. See, if you're not performing, you're not credible. You got to be performing. Credibility is both character and competence. So you have both. When you start with that, you have now have some clout and some platform to then say, "Hey, we got an issue here, and there's low trust, and and that's an economic issue." And then you focus on the behaviors, and these are the behaviors that do it. But you separate the person from the behavior. Now suddenly, I've framed this issue in terms of economics, and I framed it in terms of behaviors, not people. Then I can really focus on maybe making some progress and some improvement. And I might even ask of my boss, if it's the boss or, or another person, you know what, here's what would help me. If you make me a commitment, um, I've got to count on you keeping that. Otherwise, it slows everything down. So I'm bold. And what gives me the ability to be bold is because I'm credible. If it's with people under me, you know, I'm basically saying, look, I expect that we have high trust here. And we've got to operate this way. This is the way I want to operate as a leader. And I've got to be able to rely upon you. And right now, I can't fully, but I want to. So I'm going to give you the chance. If you prove worthy of it, we'll run with this. If you don't, it's just not going to work here. So when the people are below you, you give them the chance to rise to the occasion, to be worthy of trust, to step up. Most can and will. Some can't or won't. And those that can or won't, they might need to leave. 
probably, that they probably do need to leave. Or you just say, I'm going to pay the tax, the low trust tax. But that's probably not acceptable to you. But you frame this, see, in economic terms. And, and that's how you deal with people below. If people are above you, you've got to be courageous and bold. And what gives you the courage is your credibility to do that. And you frame it the way I described. If people are your peers, then you've got to work again with your credibility. It's your moral authority that helps you work with them, not your position. And that moral authority really comes from you being credible, both character and competence. So it really works that way. This is a great question because every one of us has it going on in our organization somewhere. There are some people we can't trust, and they're not worthy of trust. So how do we deal with it? And I say you deal with it by making it economic. You deal with it by separating the person from the behavior. And then you model how the kind of behavior that will build trust. And in some cases, you might need to be bold and courageous and say, you need to do this and that differently. And you state it explicitly to build trust. Let's, uh, can, can you take one more question, Stephen, today? Yeah, one All more right, would be so, great. Uh, this is, probably happens a lot, too. This is a company that um, uh, it's an interior design business, but they've only been in business for a few months. Um, however, uh, their, their relationships with the, the folks they work with really require them uh, to, for, for the customer to really let go and trust them. Uh, so uh, she is asking, are, are there some obvious ways that, that you can genuinely communicate that you are trustworthy? I mean, I, I know there are obviously obvious ways to be trustworthy, but are there obvious ways to, to help, uh, help that process along for a business that maybe uh, just hasn't been around that long? Yes, it's a, another excellent question. I would suggest this. There are some ways. The first is that you're, you're wanting to communicate your credibility to this uh, partner, to this customer, in a way that's not braggadocio, you know, where you're just trying to brag, but rather you're telling the customer, you know, we want you to be able to trust us, and we believe that we are worthy and deserving of that trust. Let us tell you about us. And then you go through your credibility. And in the Speed of Trust book, you'll see to the listeners that we've outlined these four cores or dimensions of credibility. And it's your integrity, your intent, but also your capabilities and your results. In other words, your, your, uh, your talents, your skills, your expertise as a company or as a person, and your results, your track record. And in some cases, maybe your track record is, is very uh, robust. In other cases, it might be you know, brand new. But you probably have great capabilities, which is how you're going to win their trust. The point is, you try to communicate in ways that are meaningful to the other party that you're credible. The second thing you do is that you signal to people your behavior. You tell them what's important to you and why, and therefore what to look for. And you might say something like this. Look, it's important in a relationship that we, that we build high trust. Because if we can trust each other, everything will be better. You'll like it more, we'll like it more, and we'll both be more profitable. If if there's low trust, not only will we not like it as much, it will affect our profitability. So we want to behave in ways that earn and keep that trust with you. So here's one thing you can know about us. If we ever make you a commitment, you can count on us keeping it, or else we won't make it. And so if we commit to you, take that to the bank. Now see, look, what I've done here is I've signaled to them my behavior to look for. I tell them, if I make you a commitment, I'll keep it. Now, when I do keep that commitment, then they recognize it. They see it better and faster, and they give me more credit, and they build trust with me much faster than had I not told them about this. But risk and return go together. If I don't do what I say I'm going to do, I'll also lose the trust faster. So don't do this unless you're really serious about it. But if you're serious about building relationships of trust, you go out and you communicate your credibility appropriately. Why? Because you want them to trust you. 
And secondly, you tell them what behaviors to look for. And then you behave in those ways that you just said. You do that, people will see this and recognize it better and faster than had you not done it. And they'll, they'll literally, you'll build trust faster with them. And, and once you have that, everything moves faster. So I think they can, they can really, you know, you can go into a new relationship and build trust almost sometimes overnight in that you're tapping into your past track record, your credibility, and your intended behavior that you're signaling to them what to look for. And that's so much better and faster in this new world where everything's moving so fast. And we may not have, you know, five years to try to build a relationship of trust. We've got to build it faster. You can't force it. But what you can do is accelerate the process by going through these steps because it all comes down to that credibility and your behavior. And I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to say, help people see your credibility and recognize your behavior. Yeah, but you, but you be intentional about it. I, I uh, intentional about I, it. I'm I, in my book. You know, I use, I start off uh, duct tape marketing with the definition of marketing being getting someone who has a need to know, like, and trust you. It is. Uh, I think that's the business we're all in, and and you've certainly done a tremendous job at, at at helping us understand just how vital that is to to being in business or or to even living the uh, a life that's fulfilling. So. Stephen, thanks very much for joining us. Uh, All of you uh, take care, and we will talk to you next month. Thank you, John. All All the best. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.